a new sermon series today. We're going to begin a new sermon series today. Um, we're going to be talking about being led by the Spirit. We've just finished talking about the authority of God. Now we're talking about being led by the Spirit. Is the Spirit God? Yes. yes. So we're still talking about the authority of God. Now we're talking about the leadership of God that is particular to the Holy Spirit. So we're talking about the leadership of God that is particular to the Holy Spirit. So today there's going to be some informational things. Um, I don't know if, if you were able to get one of these when you came in, but there are some handouts for filling in the blanks. I know for some folks this is like a, a really important thing, a really exciting thing to have blanks to fill in. So for those of you who love blanks, we have blanks. For those of you who don't, it's still a good memory device. It helps you with that 72-hour uh, loss that you have. But before we get started today, I've asked Mia to read our opening scripture. It's actually the background for our text. So Mia, would you come on up? And I've already done most of this, but would you go ahead and introduce yourself anyway as you read? Hi. Go ahead. They'll turn it on back there. Just hold it up close to your mouth. Okay. Hi, my name is Mia Lanetta, and I will be reading Luke 3, verses 21 through 22. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus was also baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Lord and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. Thank you, Mia. Appreciate your help. Now, uh, get to know Mia and her sister Bella and the Lynetta family if you get a chance. Um, they were, they're back left today, so we've split them up a little bit. They're still on the left, but some here and some in the back. So this is actually the context for that passage in chapter 4 that everybody knows. Everybody knows about chapter 4 and Jesus going out into the wilderness, right? Everybody knows about that chapter. This is the context. This is the immediate context of it. Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And after his baptism, there's this amazing thing that happens. John the Baptist sees it. Those around, some of them see it. The Spirit of God descends like a dove on Jesus, rests on him. John had actually been told that this would be the sign of the Messiah, that the person he saw this happening to would be the Messiah. So John's testimony about this is part of the reason that we understand who Jesus is and part of the reason that a couple of the early disciples get involved with him because they saw this event. They were present when John said, this is the Lamb of God, and when the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus. God speaks in this moment from the heavens, this is my beloved Son. This is a cool moment. Jesus gets it. Jesus has this massive impact of the Holy Spirit on his life and the testimony of the Father himself. As he's entering into this ministry that will eventually lead to his death, God stands in his support. He brings this miraculous event into his life and he speaks to him and for him directly. Wouldn't you love it if you were headed into something like that, if you heard that, that, the, the voice of God saying, this is the right way, go that way. Shake your head if you'd like it. Okay, good, good. We're getting a good start. The middle part, middle was group. It's good. We'll catch the right and left later. But you got the picture. This is what was going on. As Jesus is getting his ministry started, he gets this affirmation from God. First in this miraculous descending of the Holy Spirit and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And then this voice from heaven speaking to him. As Jesus is about to go, out, go face this ministry that he knows will end in his self-sacrifice, he gets the support of God to get started. So as we start today, I want you to start catching this leadership of God 
for Jesus. The Holy Spirit leads Jesus in this moment. Okay? So it's John or uh, Luke chapter 4 where we pick it up. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Where did he get full of the Holy Spirit? We, I just told you that this is one of those things. The teacher gives the answer, then asks the question, okay? Where did he get full of the Holy Spirit? At the baptism. At the baptism, the Spirit descended on him. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit in that moment. So Jesus, still full of the Holy Spirit. If you're reading Luke 3 to Luke 4, you get that whole interruption that Luke gives you to tell you who the descendants of Jesus are. Not that that's not an important thing and an exciting thing when you're in its own right, but you miss the context of this passage. Full of the Holy Spirit. Immediately after his baptism, maybe still dripping from the waters of the Jordan, Jesus heads out into the wilderness. Full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. So he, the full of the Holy Spirit, he returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. We don't know exactly where this is. Um, some of your translations will say up into the wilderness. That is actually a physically accurate description. Because from the Jordan River, pretty much anywhere is up. The Jordan River is in the bottom of the canyon, in the bottom of the valley, and the Dead Sea is at the mouth of the, or the end of the Jordan River. It's the lowest place in the world. So it's up anywhere from there. So Jesus goes up from the Jordan River into the wilderness. We think this is the southern wilderness around Judea. This is where David was fleeing from Saul. Remember, he wanders around out there hiding from Saul. Okay, this is where the people of Israel first come into impact with the promised land. Is in this southern area, in this southern desert. This is where they, they turn around. They send the ten spies and they go back. They turn around. This wilderness is where Jesus goes. He goes out into this wilderness led by the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Stop. How long was he tempted by the devil? 40 days. So from the beginning of the time he goes out into the wilderness, the devil's been there. He's been, in that time, eating nothing. So he's fasting for 40 days. Okay? So I just want to get the picture of what's going on, how this process is out, is flowing out of Jesus being led into the whole, into the desert. I don't think Jesus went out into the desert for a couple rounds with the devil. I don't think he doubted that there would be a few rounds with the devil. But I don't think that was his primary purpose. He primarily goes out into the desert for the solitude of it. For the, de- the dedication of this time where he actually goes hungry for 40 days. He fasts and sets this time apart and prays and seeks out God's leadership. Why? Because he's entering into a ministry that will end in his death. And he needs the solitude and the fasting and the prayer for fortification. Got it? So when you start looking at this, don't jump so quickly into the final temptation of Jesus in these moments that you miss entirely what's going on. Jesus has been baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. Hear the actual voice of God saying, this is my beloved son. You are in fact the Messiah. Then going up out of the water, heads out into the wilderness for some time alone, some solitude. Will he have much solitude from this point on? Not at all. His life is filled with people from this point on. To the point where he and his disciples have to go out to Tyre and Sidon to get away from the mess. They just to get some time alone. And even there, they have a woman from that area coming and asking, asking him for healing and begging him for healing. So, so much so that the disciples say, can you just get rid of her? She bugs them until finally she gets some crumbs from the master's table. 
That's a great picture. Boy, I tell you, the crumbs from the master's table are transformative to the life of a human being. Another story, another time. He spends those 40 days strengthening and fortifying himself for what's coming. It's not so that he can face the last three temptations. It's for the the three years full of trials and temptations. These last three temptations are coming. You know it, I know it. But Jesus doesn't have this information yet. He's going out there to do something else. So when he reaches this point where he is really struggling, understand some things about it. Jesus himself is in this difficult situation at the end of the 40 days, partly because of what he knows to be true. Has knowledge ever been a problem for you? You know who make really bad patients? Medical people. You know why you all make bad patients? You know too much. The rest of us, they can sneak in on us, give us a shot in the arm, and we think, okay, that must be good for us. You doctors and nurses, you're like, uh, wait, what's in that? Now, no, wait, that, I'm not sure you should be giving me that right now. My symptoms are X, Y, and Z. Why are you giving me that? And the nurse, poor nurse who's stuck with you, is now having to explain to you, who is also a nurse, why the pharmacy that is is sending this for you at this particular time, why the doctor's orders are deciding that on Thursday at 3 p.m. you're getting this shot. And having to argue with you about the process. It's too much information. You know too much. So think about what Jesus knows. As he heads out into the deserts, he knows that 40s are important. 40s matter in trials. He's seen this in the text. The Old Testament text repeats this all the time. That when you're talking about trials, 40s are important with trials. What day is it when the devil finally shows up in person to attack him with the fullest peace. 40th day. After he had been hungry for 40 days, then the devil shows up personally to attack him. We don't know how he shows up. There's some belief that he shows up imitating an angel. How could he do it? Because if you read carefully the Old Testament, he was in fact an angel named Lucifer. We don't know for certain, but he shows up in the, in the moment of Jesus' greatest weakness with this this opportunity to try to defeat Jesus before this all gets started. Jesus knows that the 40th day is supposed to be the day when the trial ends. If you knew that you were supposed to get better on the 40th day, would you be kind of anxious for that day? If you knew after being hungry for 40 days you were going to finally eat on the on the 40th day, would it make you a little more anxious about feeding, eating? We used to... We, Brenda and I were... Uh, <clears throat> We used to, Brenda and I were. Let me, let me back this sentence up. <laughs> Brenda and I had the opportunity years ago uh, when our conference did a, a tour of Israel and Jordan and Egypt to be in Egypt. We happened to be in Egypt for Ramadan. Are you know anything about Ramadan? Ramadan is a holiday of fasting. Okay? And so um, from, from evening meal to evening meal, no one eats. Some people, particularly uh, observant people, don't drink. Some really observant people will spit out their spittle so they're swallowing nothing. They don't smoke. It's, it's kind of against the rules to smoke during Ramadan. So imagine you're a, you're a thirsty, hungry smoker. And it's, and it's about to be time to break your fast. It's about to be sundown. 
where do you think you'll be doing? So let me show you what's happened in the streets of Cairo as we walk down the streets of Cairo during Ramadan. There are people sitting in the sidewalks with food on their plate, waiting. You know how some Seventh-day Adventists are watching their watch for the Sabbath to go be done? You know, the Sabbath ends at 534, 33 and 30, 31, 32, 33. Just a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, turn the TV on. Right? That's what's going on. They're sitting there and hungry, thirsty, and sometimes waiting for that first drag on their cigarette. They're, they're waiting. Jesus knows that at 40, when the 40 ends, the trial's supposed to break. He knows that when the 40 ends in these wilderness experiences, it's supposed to stop. He knows what the pattern has been throughout Scripture up to this point, And that knowledge is not helping him right now. Let me ask you a question. When you're, when you're sitting there waiting for the Sabbath to end, does it really help you that we put in the bulletin what exact minute Sabbath ends? Wouldn't it be better if we said, ah, around 5.30? Or if we said, between 5.30 and 6. So that we might just not be quite so bound to the legal exactness of it all. You go out, look at the sky. If it looks dark, you're good. If you happen to see a couple of stars, you're good for all time. Jesus knows that his fast is supposed to be ending. This is a trial. This is a wilderness experience. They're supposed to come in 40s. He should be done. He knows that God is consistent. That God follows these patterns. So he's expecting of God that he knows these 40s are here too, right? You ever tell God what he should know? God, you know 40 days. This is 40. We're supposed to... 41, that's going to throw off the pattern. We're supposed to be at 40. This is day 40. I've been counting... Come on, you got to be consistent. And he knows that God can be trusted. And so he's saying, you know, it's time. I know you can be trusted. The information that Jesus has is making the temptation at this moment harder. Does that make sense? Would it work for you? Would it work for you? If you knew your 40 was about up, would you be hungrier, thirstier, more anxious? If you knew God was consistent, would you say, you look, you're consistent. You can be trusted. I'm, I'm... It's time to fish or cut bait, God. Looking at this rock and it looks really good. And the devil appears and says, you know, if everything that happened at your baptism is true, you could turn that stone into bread. That one there. That Yeah, that one there that looks like bread, that you're imagining might be bread, that you're thinking about it with like olive oil spread all over it, maybe a little peanut butter when that gets invented. In this moment, Jesus' knowledge increases the effectiveness of Jesus' temptation. At this moment of greatest potential weakness, then the devil speaks here's the interesting thing 
How did Jesus get out there in the desert? Led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit led him out into the desert. The Holy Spirit led Jesus out there. And he's now about to face one of the hardest moments of his whole life. Is that what you expect from the Holy Spirit? They made it. Think about it. Do you expect to have tough times when you're following the Holy Spirit? Or do you expect when you're following the Holy Spirit, everything's going to be smooth? Because you know you mess things up by your own decisions, right? We're all aware that we mess things up on our own. But when we're following the Holy Spirit, shouldn't there be some benefit to this? Shouldn't there be some reward? Shouldn't we be saying, hey, I'm following the Holy Spirit. Everything should be rosy because I'm following the Holy Spirit here. Right? What are your expectations? I wonder, am I the only one in the room who expects good things when I'm following the Holy Spirit? I have my doubts. I have my doubts. You know, Lord, I married the right woman. Why is this hard? I prayed a long time about this, God, before I did it. And I was absolutely certain that you wanted me to do this. Why is it difficult? Lord, this is the husband you gave me. Everything worked out. As, as only I could see you developing it, I prayed... I walked with you. I spent time in the scripture. I fasted 40 days before I decided to to say yes to this goober. And now look what I'm stuck with. Don't we expect certain positive outcomes when we follow the, the, the rules? Led by the Holy Spirit, there's Jesus out in the desert about to face the, one of the hardest temptations of his entire ministry. So let's talk about the Holy Spirit for a minute. Let's, because we're setting up a discussion about being led, out, led by the Holy Spirit. So let's lay down a couple things that Jesus tells us about this process that we're finding ourselves in. So how the process is going to work. The Holy Spirit will dwell with or in you. Both are used of the scripture, uh, in the scripture. With or in you. You can just say within you. Okay, The Holy Spirit will dwell with or in you. Jesus in John 14, if anyone, if you want to read about these John 14, 15, and 16, where Jesus is kind of patching in these comments about the Holy Spirit. John 14, verse 23, If anyone loves me, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, did Jesus and God move in? Yes and no. Yes, in the Holy Spirit, in the third portion of the, of the Godhead. Yes, very, very truly that Jesus and God move in because the Spirit moves in. The Spirit of God moves in. Jesus is God. The Spirit is God. God is God. When one of them moves in, you got the whole package. Yes? Okay. Okay. So one, first of all, this is an internal little motivating engine, right? This is an internalizing of things. You know the cartoons? You've, you've seen cartoons. Raise your hand if you've seen cartoons. This is really just a cheap way to make sure you're paying attention. So in the cartoons, they have those two little beings on the shoulders of the cartoon character, right? 
right? When there's a big decision at hand, what should I do? What should I do? What? Up on one side, you have this little demon. You can tell he's red, he has horns, and he has a tail. Uh, don't trust that picture. It's a cartoon, okay? And on this other side is this little angel, and this little angel's speaking to you. He can tell he's an angel. He's in white, he's got wings, and he's an angel, right? And they start whispering in his ears, don't do it, do it, don't do it, do it, don't do it, do it. And the person's caught between the two decisions. Do you know that's that's common for everyone, even those who don't follow God? Did you know the influence of the Holy Spirit is present even for a person who does not follow after God? See, the difference in this text is it simply says, look, if you love me, if you follow my words, my Father will love you and we will dwell with you. And and later the scriptures will make it more clear that in you, we will become an internal voice of your spiritual direction. We will become an internal voice. That's that, that crazy voice inside that's like a whisper that's so loud you can't ignore it. You know what I mean? It's, it's a voice that's not your own that lives within your own head. Isn't that crazy? Am I the only crazy person who hears this? Because if it is, I need to know now. We'll see someone about it. But this is what happens. The Holy Spirit indwelling you, becoming a part of your own cognition, begins to speak within, within you. So there are other people out there who, who are being influenced all the time. The, the cartoons have it right. Good and evil are constantly battling for people's soul. But when a person surrenders to Jesus, it stops to be, it stops being this external thing and becomes this internal experience. It becomes this surrender to God that allows you to hear Him guide you. So step one, the Holy Spirit is an internal influence. It's an internal influence. Next. So we have, the, we have the process. Here's the procedures for the process. The Holy Spirit teaches you new things and reminds you of Jesus' teachings. So we often will quote this and say, well, the Holy Spirit will remind you of the things you've learned. That's true. That's true. So you need to learn some things in order for the Holy Spirit to remind you, right? Keep reading your Bible. Keep studying your Bible. How many of you are, are waiting through Leviticus right now and struggling? Yeah, aren't we just slogging through Leviticus? Keep reading for those little moments. Keep watching for those moments. Those of you who wondered what I just did, there's a, a large group in the congregation who are actually reading through the Bible together. We're reading it as it comes from the, a timeline sort of a, spe, a, a spectrum. So we're following it along a timeline with the version app. And so those of, those of, of us who are on that sort of process are in Leviticus. We're deep in Leviticus. We're actually, good news for you, we're deep almost out of Leviticus. But you know what comes after Leviticus, right? Deuteronomy. It's going to be okay. It's, it's not the book of John yet, but that's way down the road. But those of us who are slogging through this process with Leviticus, they're slogging. Do you read some of this stuff and think, how's the Lord going to use this later? I don't know. I don't know. But he brings the most amazing and interesting things to mind. When I am thinking and studying and praying and preparing for, for worship, preparing for church, so often the, the things will just come to my mind I didn't even know I remembered. Holy Spirit brings things back to your memory. And then he teaches you new things. Have you ever had two pieces that seemed disconnected joined together and form a, form a picture? That's what goes on. He picks a piece from over here and a piece from over here. Those come together and you go, whoa, I never thought of those as together. I never realized that. I've been, you know what I've been enjoying in the study of Leviticus is all that, all those references to the holiness of God and the holiness of Israel. It really struck me this week that God is saying, I am a holy God. 
and you are my people. I, I've read that a hundred times, thousand times maybe. I'm a holy God and you're my people. And I thought, well, you know, it's, it's, this is the standard. Get on with it. And I, and I realized this week that God is saying, I'm a holy God and, and you are the image of me in the world. You are the billboard on the side of the road that represents me. I am a holy God. So I'm giving you some instructions so there's a consistency to the image that people see. Boy, there's a whole discussion here about where we are in that. How's Christianity doing with that today? But that's what I, what caught me today, caught, or caught me this week, was this, I am a holy God and you are my people. Here are the instructions for that. Here's what that looks like. So now you take Leviticus and you put those kind of, kind of uh, pictures on it. Some of those rules go, oh, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. God is holy and he wants people to see him. He wants people to understand him. That's why he's telling them all this stuff. So he brings things, teaches you things, often by bringing things you know together and often by bringing you something new. Okay? The uh, text is John chapter 14, verse 26. Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said to you. You ever wonder how the disciples got the Gospels written down? If we hung around for the next three years, do you think you could remember things that were this year to write them down three, four, five, forty years from now? If the Holy Spirit was leading, you could. Jesus is telling his disciples, he will remind you of the things I said. Holy, the Holy Spirit will guide this process. So when you open your Bible and you read those words on the page, you're reading the outflow of the Holy Spirit's process with the disciples. Isn't it cool? And not just that. There's a, there's a Holy Spirit process going on when you read the words they've written. We don't think often enough about the impact of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I used to teach a, a Sabbath school class right over here. This was my little, my little parking space. And, uh, when we, we would sit down here, this was where a second look took place before we moved it to the back because I was too disturb, disruptive to the people in the front. It's true, that's why we moved it, because my voice is too loud. But we had this little group right here. One of the members of that group would say over and over again, when we'd be talking about something in the Scriptures that was just hard, he would just simply say, it's the Holy Spirit. And it was interesting. He looked like a prophet. He was this tall guy, big full beard before. That was cool. Kind of longish hair. And he would just say, in the middle of our class, we're struggling, we're talking, the class is going back and forth on something. And he would raise his hand. It's the Holy Spirit. That was his whole comment. And the longer I've thought of it, the more I think, dead right. It's the Holy Spirit. The leadership and guidance of the Holy Spirit in all of these processes, that is, in fact, the answer. You want to know how your work, your, your spiritual life works out practically? Holy Spirit. You know who inspires you to want to do more for God? Holy Spirit. You know who convicts you when you really mess something up? Holy Spirit. You know who reminds you of the grace of God and the love of God for you when you're down on the bottom? Holy Spirit. So involved in our lives. So much at the helm of our lives when we're surrendered to God. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Number three. I'm just taking Jesus' direction, Jesus' descriptions of what the Spirit's doing. The Holy Spirit guides you into maturing truth. Into maturing truth. There's so much more I want to tell you. I love this, this, uh, 
passage of scripture because it makes me realize why I didn't learn everything when I finished school. You know, I went to four years of college for this. Then I went to three years of seminary for this. I thought, man, I should be pretty much ready, loaded for bear. No. No, most of my education has happened since then. He says, there's so much more I want to tell you. We've been hanging around for the last three years. I know how much you've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it, and I've been sharing lots of things with you, but I can't tell you because you couldn't handle it anymore. I've given you all I can give you. You guys are filled up as far as I can fill you up until you expand a little bit. We're not going to be able to go any further. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it right now. So can I stop you for a sec? Have you ever been witnessing to someone and gotten impatient with them? Chill. It may not be something they can handle right now. You know where we really have problems with this? Our kids and our spouses. You know, if you're witnessing to somebody you really care about, like your spouse, if your spouse is not uh, not a committed believer, you have a tendency to overload them. I was just down the street here. It's been about, uh, well, it's probably been 15 years ago. I was just down the street and giving a Bible study um, where where sunset hits the end of the road. There's an apartment complex right there, and I literally could have driven off sunset right into these people's living room. And I was giving a Bible study to this lady, and I'd been, this is probably the third or fourth Bible study. And I was so excited about what I was learning. I spent 45 minutes unloading on that lady. By the time I finished, she was looking a little glassy-eyed. That was my last Bible study with her. I blew out the circuitry. Now I don't, I don't, I don't even question that the Holy Spirit took some of that that she could bear and carried it forward with her. And I expect to see her in the kingdom. I expect that the that the the, the desire she had to follow after God was there, and He will move forward with that information. But I had unloaded way too much. I was unloading graduate level material on a lady who was just sort of looking for the pages of the Bible to see what we were talking about. Don't blow up the person who's trying. Don't plug 220 into a 110 circuit. All it does is blow out the lights. Jesus says, I can't tell you any more than this right now because you guys would short out if I did. It would just blow your minds if I told you right now. So when the Spirit comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will bring the maturing truth that you need. The Spirit will guide you to the next level. Have, has, have you felt that, the Holy Spirit guiding you to the next level? This is my life. This is, my, my, this is where I live. As the Holy Spirit sort of pulls me along to the next thing and discovering and understanding. You know, I, I've read the Bible before. A few times, actually. And yet stuff keeps popping up that I didn't see. Holy Spirit will lead you to maturing truth. Number four, lastly, the Holy Spirit convicts the world. Now, before you say that to them out there, where do you live? So let's not drop ourselves out of this picture. Let's recognize the value of this picture as it applies to us and as it applies to the rest of the world. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of its need of salvation. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin. 
Does the Holy Spirit do that in your life? Maybe you're on the planet still then. And of God's righteousness, our sin, God's righteousness, and the coming judgment, that there is an end to this world. This is all very valuable information. I know my need of Jesus. I know my God is righteous. And I know there will come a day when the clock ticks the last time. With those three bits of information, knowing my situation, I can make a different decision about my future, a better tomorrow. Get it? With those three bits of information, I understand my situation and I can make a better decision about my tomorrow. All right. So we've just all, basically we've been laying a lot of groundwork. We've been laying a lot of groundwork. We're going to try to use this groundwork as we, we work forward in this. If you're visiting with us today, you, uh, you four right over there, you have to come back in the next two weeks because we don't finish till, for two more weeks. I'm just pointing them out because they have been members here and they have strayed to another place. <laughs> I've never, never figured out why they would do such a thing. Nice to have you back. That's what happens when you come back to visit. (laughs) So let's get back to Jesus, led by this same Spirit out into the wilderness. Jesus, led by this same Holy Spirit who's leading you, went out into the wilderness. What were his expected outcomes? That he was going to spend some time, 40 days or so, with God, preparing for the time when he would face all the struggle and battle of the ministry ahead of him. What were the expected outcomes? What were your expected outcomes? Hey, I'm setting aside 40 days to go hang with God, to be with God. It's going to be great. I'm going to, I'm going to be, it's going to be rich. I'm going to be, be, be just so connected with God. It's going to be amazing. Look, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. There's so much more to be done and gained. It's going to be wonderful. And then. The Holy Spirit starts leading. And when the Holy Spirit starts leading, by the very nature of the word, you can't stay where you are. <clears throat> you understand? If I'm leading you, that, that, that implies that there's some place we're going. Correct? So if I'm leading you, you're moving. Right? The Holy Spirit is always leading you into growth. You can be certain of it. The Holy Spirit is always leading you into growth. So if you know that the Holy Spirit is going to lead you into growth, maybe your expectations ought not to be that this is going to be a feed up, little blankie on my lap sort of a ride. That it might be a challenge. The Holy Spirit is always leading us into growth. The leadership of the Holy Spirit does not mean that we will not have trials. Double negative, what does that mean? You will have trials. You will have trials. The Holy Spirit leading you does not mean that you will not have trials. In fact, it is almost certain you will. If the leadership of the Holy Spirit does not mean you will succeed. You know why? Because he's working with you. 
It doesn't mean that he can't do it. It might mean that you refuse to do it. So the Holy Spirit is going to guide you to growth. You're probably going to experience trials and sometimes you're going to fail. Not because the Holy Spirit plans on you failing, but because he's working with a broken human being. Okay? Good news. If the Holy Spirit is leading you to a change, it does mean that you're ready to face what's coming. If the Holy Spirit is leading you, is just, is just dragging you to the next step, you can be certain that you're ready for whatever's coming. You are ready for whatever's coming. You are ready for whatever's coming. So what are you being tested by right now? When, I, when, you, when we started talking about trials, when we started talking about tests, when we started talking about temptations, immediately something came to your mind. What is it that's, that's got you right now? What is it that the Holy Spirit is forcing you to face? You know how what happens when you fail to succeed where He has taken you, right? You wake up the next day and He takes you back. So rather than go around this barn 40 times, just get it over with. Deal with it right there, right then. Remember, Israel wandered through the desert for 40 years because they didn't cross into the promised land. Why did they fail at crossing into the promised land? Was it because God wasn't strong enough? Because God had led them to the wrong place? Had nothing to do with God's ability. It had everything to do with theirs. You will keep roaming around. You'll take that lap around and around and around. There's, a, there's an old song you should know called Take Another Lap Around Mount Sinai. It describes this trip that Israel is making out in the wilderness. Take another lap around Mount Sinai till you learn your lesson. Till you quit your whining. Da 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 da. Forty years, guys. How many times are we going around this same problem? You know what happens when you come back the tenth or twelfth time, right? The devil steps up and says, "You're never getting this." Walt, are you kidding me? You've been here so many times now, God's disgusted with you. If the Holy Spirit is taking you back there, God is not done. And you're ready. You have the equipment necessary. You just have to deal with it. You just have to take that step. If the hell that you're going through at the moment has a grip on you that feels like it's going to bury you, keep following the Holy Spirit through it. Someone mentioned that to me this morning. They're just going through hell. And I understand. It happens, right? The difficulties of your life feel like the devil's got full control of everything that's happening in your world, which, by the way, is the definition of hell. Just keep following the Spirit. There's a destination beyond this. If he's leading you, there's a place you're headed. If he's leading you, there's a plan. If he's leading you, he guarantees you that you're ready. Otherwise, he'd be leading you somewhere else. Remember, he brings you to the things that you're ready to bear. The Holy Spirit will bring you to the things you can't bear now. So when you're ready to bear them, he brings you to them then. So if you're there right now, He is giving me the equipment necessary to take the next process on, to step on through, to get past this. Temptation, trial, struggle, 
whatever it is, he has given you the equipment necessary to get through it. Promise, a promise. That's why we laid that groundwork and did that discussion at the beginning. Was Jesus ready to face the devil? Of course he was. Who won? Jesus. Over the next three years, did Jesus have to come back and fight this guy again? Sure, lots of different things came up. Who won? When Jesus was hanging on the cross, facing the ultimate temptation, I could get down from here if I want. Did he? So who won? If the Holy Spirit has you facing something difficult, you have the equipment to get past it. You have it. Anything that needs to be added will be added in the process. Take the step. And so, Jesus knows that 40 days are when trials are up. Right? He knows that. This is day 40. He's hungry. He's thirsty. He's desperate for some food. He knows that 30 days or 40 40 is the day when you're supposed to be done with wilderness experiences. He knows that God is consistent. He knows that God can be trusted. He knows these things from what he's read in the scriptures already. And now he's waiting for the application of these things in his own life. And finally, after that last statement of the devil, Jesus says, leave, leave me, get away from me. And the devil leaves. And the angels come. You are not forgotten. You are not without hope. You are not without resources. Because God can be trusted. Because God is consistent. And if this this experience of Jesus says anything to you and I, it says that he was willing to face the very temptations and troubles that we face. So that we can know he understands. Even when we feel like we're failing. Let's pray. Father God. Being led by the spirit. Has a lot of implications for me. I expect really good things when I'm being led by the Spirit. I really, I really do. Help me to understand that your definition of good things for me is different from my definition. Help me to understand that the strength that is acquired on the other side of trial is the goal of the leadership of the Holy Spirit in that moment. Help me understand that you're trying to grow my faith in you. To grow my faith in your word. To grow my faith in the leadership that you're providing by the Spirit. We surrender ourselves to your leadership today. And we look forward to what you bring tomorrow. Because we trust you.